welcome again to another episode of Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with freelance models. Today, I have a fellow freelance model that I've known about for a really long time, but we've never like interacted in real life besides just chatting on Facebook or whatever here or there. Rebecca Lawrence, hello. Hi, Christy. I am so happy to be here. I I listened to like five, ap- I binged like five episodes of your podcast when I was driving from Jacksonville to Miami last week. And like, I, I remember pulling over just to text you like, I love it. I'm so excited for what you're doing for our community. You're, you're exposing what's interesting about us. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really fun. And I feel like I've gotten to know some of my fellow acquaintances a little bit better just through doing these like hour long conversations here and there. I love it. Like I'm uh, I'm going to meet several of the guests that you had already in the next couple months. So I'm just after listening to their long form interviews, I am so psyched. Like hopefully I'll be meeting Vika next week and then you and Taylor uh, in a couple of months. So Oh, I have a little more background on everyone, and I know I know that we can jump right into a new conversation. Have you not met uh, Vika before? No, I I also just know her from online. So oh, when I get to Tampa awesome. next week, uh, I think I'm going to have a shoot at her studio. Awesome. I love her. <laughs> That's I, even, I texted her after I heard her episode, like, oh, I'm fangirling over your episode. Okay, I can't wait. Cool, let's go. So you've been modeling, I think, around the same amount of time as me. Is that right? That's that's exactly right. Like, I joined um, the websites and did my first shoots for my portfolio in 2006. Um, And then, but I, like, went right into it as as full-time work when I was in college. I still had some, like, other jobs. But my last few years of college, like, I was a little bit of checked out when it came to school because I was traveling already for modeling every weekend and like all of my breaks and skipping a lot of Fridays. Wow. Um, and then since I graduated uh, with, with a degree in Russian literature, which I've never used, um, since I graduated in 2008, I've been full time ever since then with a break when I was 26 when I tried to retire because I thought I was too old, but now I am 37. Wow, that's awesome. I'm so happy that you're down to like expose your age because I'm all about <laughs> the age positivity and stuff. No, I'm so proud of my age. Like, um, I would never want to be young again, honestly. <laughs> what is the benefits of being older as, as a model? The main one for me is that anyone that seeks to do harm to somebody who's ignorant is going to choose a somebody significantly younger than me and with a lot less experience and a lot less age on them. So I felt I have this, I feel like I have this little sense of security knowing that um, people, yeah, people just seeking somebody who doesn't know better to do harm are going to choose somebody else, unfortunately. But that gives me an extra load of responsibility to make sure that I can reach anybody younger and make sure that harm is not done to them. Yeah. But personally, I'm a little, I, I feel a little bit more comfortable just knowing that. And then also, like, when I compare myself at 37 to myself at 27 to 17, like, my confidence level is so much higher, and I've I've earned it. That's awesome. Yeah, you're not a target for predators who are into people who look like a young child. Right, and that, too, because I know that when I was 20, I looked 14. Yeah. Yeah. So now that I'm, I don't know how old I look now that I'm 37, but let's just, let's just say I look legal. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I was young when I was 18, I looked like I was 13 and yeah, people would make comments all the time. I believe you. We both have like a a baby face. Um, I hope I get to pose with you when I meet you in June because a lot of people have brought that to my attention that we should. Yeah. Like, you know, the big, big blue eyes and. We both have cute faces. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're both kind of the girl next door. You do some like. The, the blonde and the brunette versions of girl next door. You're into like bendy poses and stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have the back flexibility that I envy, but you know, <laughs> I've got, I've got pretty good hamstrings. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as good right now as I was a few months ago. I think that I kind of whacked myself out of shape you're, you're living in a cold place like there's just no way you can be as flexible yeah for the purpose of our listeners could you give like a 
a short description of how you started modeling and like the progression of your modeling career and then where you are now? Sure. Um, I started, my first shoot was fully nude, uh, art nude. I didn't know how to wear makeup. I didn't know how to do hair and I didn't think I needed to. And the reason I was doing my first shoot, and this probably differs from most of the people I know and most of your guests, I was kind of made by a friend. I was an exchange student in Germany when I was 18 for a year. And when I came back, a really good friend of mine, American friend of mine from the trip, became roommates with a well-known traveling art model who got her into modeling. And then the two of them got me into modeling. So the, the sales pitch was like, hey, do you want to go on a road trip with me this summer? Uh, we're going to make like 15 grand each. We're going to go to the Midwest on the summer break from college. All you have to do is like post a couple of shots on this website called One Model Place, uh, and you'll be getting paid work in no time. Nice. Yeah. So place that's OG. <laughs> I know. My number is 246715. I'll never forget. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so anyway, so I knew that my friend, like I got to watch my friend become a model through her roommate for one year, like a whole year. I got to watch her build her portfolio and have these experiences, some positive and some negative. Um, and the, the intention the whole time was art nude. Nice. Um, you know, having like dance poses, very sculpturally poses. My friend was just starting to like get into glamour a little bit more, um, around the time that she got me into modeling. So I had, I had some background and I had some training and these girls laid down some ground rules for me. For example, they told me all of the things that photographers could ask and that it's not wrong to do those things, but you should really know in advance whether you want to and what your price will be. So I was warned, like, you know, you're a college girl, you're going to show up and you're saying you don't do open like nudes. Like what happens if somebody's like, okay, here's a thousand or $2,000, you know, you're only being paid like 150 for this shoot. Do you want it? So I had to like have this conversation in my head a million times and like talk through it with these models how I was going to say no. And then they taught me about fetish that like sometimes like there's going to be a risk that people are going to try to get you to do porn, but they're going to try to get you to do weird things that are equivalent to porn for some people. And you're going to need a price for those things and not treat it like art modeling. Sound advice. So yeah, so when a guy messages you and says, like, hey, I have this really creative idea, I'd like to put pies in your face, that that's not, like, a really cool creative art school idea, that's fetish. Yeah. And you should charge more money for that if you're going to do it. Did you get pie in the face? So, I, uh, the pie in the face I did. I use that as an example because it's, like, one of the very few ones that I did. <laughs> so, um, I I benefited a lot, you know, from... Having this background from other models, I'm aware of it, and I've always wanted to train other models, and I'm always going out of my way to help them when they get started. But my thing is I won't create them. Yeah. No baby vampires. If somebody comes to me and says, like, I want a model, what do I do? I will give them some really brief background information, but I will not help them. But if they've got a few sheets under their belt and they're getting stuck, then, like, I will put them under my wing. So, I, like, I can't, I don't want to be the person that influences their first step because it is such a life-changing decision to post nude on the Internet. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's great that you had a few friends to, like, be with you and give you advice when you were first starting out, though. Yeah, it's that's invaluable. And I think that's, like, that really is the reason why I've been doing this for 17 years, like, that I had this advantage in the beginning. I had really great advice because I think most of our peers in 2006 were not getting really great advice. Like generally models that I would meet were very like proprietary towards their like trade secrets. Like they wouldn't tell you how you were eating. They were emailing people. They didn't like share how they would cold call. Like they were very stingy with their contacts. So what I got was like true friendship and had a real value. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I first started. I was just kind of like hopping around, hoping that nobody was going to kill me at a photo shoot or try to kidnap me. And it wasn't until maybe about 2014 or 2015 when I was invited to a Facebook group of other traveling freelance models. Oh, that's where I know you from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one Facebook group that got taken down. Uh, yeah, oh, I miss it. Oh. Yeah. 
it's like Fight Club. But, we're like not supposed to talk about it, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that group. I mean, that's, I think when those groups are sort of what changed the culture in that we would share very openly with each other because how else could any of us survive? Yeah. You're not trying to out survive your peers. You know, you're trying to help each other. Yeah. And after a certain point, I feel like if you have a lot of experience and you've traveled quite a bit and you know what it's like to work with certain types of photographers, I feel like we have a duty to each other to like let somebody know, hey, like this guy might not pay you at the end of the shoot or whatever. Or, hey, this dude. Yeah. Groped me or something. I feel like you have a duty. I don't, I don't, you know, it's not about money. I don't want these guys to have victims. I'm not competing with these younger models. Like we're in different classes now. So. You know, if they want somebody old that's going to be on time, that's me. And if they want a wild card that might, like, do shots with them, that's somebody else. But they need to have all the information. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was newer, back in, like, you know, 05, 06, 07, uh, I would, like, message other freelance models that I perceived to be more successful than me. And they would either, like, never reply or, like, tell me, like, oh, I'm not going to give you free information or whatever. So Yeah. Same. That was like, that was the culture. There's a little bit of gatekeeping today, though, even in those same Facebook groups that I was invited, because I feel like I had to, like, put in a bunch of work and struggle in order to be allowed into that group. So in that sense, I feel like it's kind of gatekeeping. Like, you have to have a lot of experience already to, to basically prove yourself to get invited into it. I mean, that's true. Like, the people who would benefit from it most were not there because they weren't, like, vetted enough. But, you know, I think that one, that group's whole thing was security. Yeah. Um, because there were groups that came before that that were getting shut down because, like, models would literally just, like, this is back before um, everybody had a smartphone. Models would log into Facebook from, like, a photographer's computer if they were, like, chilling in the studio or being hosted. And then photographers would access everything and read, you know, all the information we were sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I haven't heard of a story like that in a long time because everybody has their own personal devices that are locked. But that was like that was a huge risk in like 2012. Yeah, I, I've also heard of uh, models screenshotting something that another model said about a particular photographer. This actually happened to me. Somebody screenshotted something oh, that I said and texted the screenshot to the photographer that I was talking about, and he got all pissed at me, and I had to block. It happens to me too. Yeah. Oh, that's so dirty. You know? Yeah. So, but I guess in that case, it's that's why it's, there's tight security in those groups because if you don't, right. there's get people doing that. Right. So I'm happy that groups like that exist, and then I'm happy for some of the newer groups that we're in where like. It's very, very inclusive, you know? Yeah. Speaking of crazy, fucked up photographers, I'd like to introduce the photo shoot fail of the week. If you have a story about a photographer that was like crazy or out of line, or the situation surrounding the shoot was crazy or fucked up, what's one of your crazy photo shoot stories? Okay, so I... I was brainstorming this a little bit. I have, I have, okay, can I share two? The first one is only like two minutes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. The first one is, oh my God. I thought I was the coolest model, art nude model ever. I was in Australia and I had a photographer ask me if we could go on location in a helicopter. And I was like, hell fucking yeah. Okay, we have to leave at 5 a.m. That's fine. We're up at sunrise, and we're going to this, like, little island in the jungle, like, uh, like in between, like, a bunch of, like, jungly, uh, what do you call it? Like, sort of in a marsh. Okay. And so the helicopter lands on this island, and as I get out, and I'm so stoked. The sun is rising. It's beautiful. As I get up, all this period of blood just, like, runs down my leg, and it's, it's like, it's in the seat, and the helicopter is all over me. I don't have any supplies because they told me to pack light. I didn't know. <laughs> oh. So I'm like, well, whatever. We're on this island, and, like, I'm about to be naked. So I just throw off my dress, and I start running into the water. And then the pilot's screaming at me. He's like, no, there's crocodiles. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm like, what do I do? Like, can I get this blood off with just, like, wet sand? That's what I did. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I... And then I never, 
So it started, the shoot started hilariously. I think it was pretty good. Um, the photographer was an elderly guy and he passed away before I got any photos back. So I can't even improve any of this. But it's a true story. Wow. All right. But okay. So my next story, this one is much more serious about a total failure in communication and industry standards and just a total breakdown is about a workshop I did in DC and this was probably in 2010. Yeah, 2010. And to back up a little bit, I'm a, at this point in my life, I'm an art new model who does a little bit of grammar. Like at this point, I've learned to do some hair and makeup. Uh, I can put on eyelashes. I don't own very much lingerie, but I'm willing to wear it and feel comfortable in it. Uh, so I went, I went from like, just like, Feral, running around the woods with sticks and leaves in my hair, art models, and now I can do studio work. I've, I've learned and I feel comfortable like making eye contact with the camera. And my boundary is no open leg, and it has been for the entire 17 years of my career. So these girls that trained me, they were like, identify your boundaries now and be firm. And I think one of the things that makes it easy for people to communicate with me is that it's never changed. It's not negotiable. It doesn't vary from person to person, and everyone should know what they are because they tell them right away. Nice. So, so at this workshop, um, I was very surprised that when I started posing in my artistic style with this other model, I'm posing at a like a. This is a everybody shooting at the same time. We also call this a turkey shoot <laughs> kind of workshop with hot lights, so there's no strobes. Nobody has to share a trigger. The other model and I are posing, and one of the six guys, oh, by the way, this is the kind of workshop where I'm paid very little, but everyone's instructed to tip a certain amount. Oh, oh. So I'm still relying on these guys to tip me to make it even worth going to D.C. to do this workshop. So after a few minutes, a photographer pulls out a flagger and asks me to hit the other model with it. And I was like, what, is this a joke? No. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not that. And then these photographers are audibly yawning, and one is not even shooting. He's, like, looking at something else. He's, like, reading the manual for his camera, looking bored. And then a photographer pulled out a vibrator or dildo of some sort and asked her to use it on me. And at this point, I'm like, is this a joke? Like, what? what is going on? Of course not. This is an art new shoot. Like, by the way, we're, like, we're trying to be super artsy. We're wearing, like, Mardi Gras masks, and, like, we're, like, making these hand gestures like we're mimes or something. It was, there was no context for this. So after that, one guy just leaves, and I decided to take a break. When I go to the dressing room and look at my phone, I have a very angry voicemail from the guy I was dating who was quite controlling and very much in my business. And he was a, like a hobby photographer. So like he would subscribe to these. I think back then, like when somebody hosted a workshop, it wasn't on meetup.com or someplace where they wanted the models to help promote it. Like they kind of secretly mailed it to their, to their mailing list. And I wasn't on the mailing list, but my boyfriend was. And he was like, holy shit, Rebecca, you're doing an erotic workshop. What the fuck? Why didn't you tell me? You bitch, you know? Like, what? He's like, you think I want to know? He was really, really angry, and I was very disturbed uh, because I was not doing a lot of workshop, and this organizer knew what my limits were. We had worked many times. Now, this is an aging man who maybe forgot. To his credit, that's the best I can say. But I have a feeling that this workshop was they, they did like a last minute search for people and mailed like the last, at the last minute, like, hey, swap available for erotic workshop with Rebecca Lawrence and this person. So at this point, I'm very upset. I'm like, I'm trying to keep it together, but at least like, I'm trying not to like, I have to deal with the fact that my boyfriend is really bad, but I, I think that I can easily explain that there has been an error and I'm appalled. So I go back on set and another photographer has left. And he, by the way, when they leave, that means I get no money. Because I'm like, basically, they're all supposed to tip me a certain amount to get a model release. And they're leaving without one. When I get back, a photographer asked if I would just thank her a little bit, since I obviously don't like to use toys. And I'm just like, no, I think there's been a mix-up. I've just seen that there is an email that went out that I am doing erotic. Like, I am an art nude and, like, a little bit of glamour nude style. So I don't know what. 
any other model, she was game. You know, she was up for any of this. She didn't, it didn't matter to her because she, you know, she did this kind of work routinely. So she was, she was just looking at me, letting me, you know, be in charge of what the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't really supporting or backing me up either, which was kind of typical of models back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we do look out for each other a lot more now. So anyway, I said I would not spank her. He asked, he was like, would you just take this lipstick and put it on your hand and then leave a handprint on your butt so it looks like you spanked her? That's weird. <laughs> what happened to our art concepts? I'm so confused. But at this point, I knew, I knew that it, whose fault this was and that it was entirely on the organizer for just deciding I was going to do something and emailing a huge list of people, you know, and his mailing list was like a, at the time, like I guess a thousand people in New York and around the Northeast. So like whether they are there or not, like they all think that I did an erotic workshop and they're going to start asking me about erotic or why I wouldn't do it with them. And it's fucked up the whole thing of like everyone knows what my limits are. Oh, what a headache. <laughs> so I had a talk with him afterwards. It was a little bit like talking to a wall. Yeah, uh, I was like, this is like, honestly, I, I, I told him, I was like, this is the worst shoot of my life. This is the worst day of my modeling life. Like, it could not be any more awkward. And I did nothing to, you know, I did nothing to cause this. I have been so clear. And he didn't communicate with you that he wanted to advertise it as erotic. He was just trying to. Absolutely like- not. Yeah, I think at the last minute, he was like, oh, if I put the E-word in there, my people will come. It's no skin off his nose because <laughs> because he's still getting the payment for them to arrive, and you're hoping to exactly. get when they leave. So it- Exactly. These guys were yawning. I'm like, wow. And then it, it just occurred to me, like, because I've never done an erotic shoot, like, is that what happens? Like, when you're an erotic model, like, and you're just, like, kind of warming up, and you're not, like, opening it yet? Like, are they, do they... <laughs> They yawn? Um, I mean, I've done like open leg modeling and stuff, and I can't recall yawning, but some photographers can be really pushy. Like, if they booked you for that, they don't, some of them don't want to wait for you to do a progression of poses, you know, like starting with the outfit on and then taking the outfit off and then getting somewhat more erotic throughout the shoot. They just want to make sure that you're going to do it and like, oh, show it to me now, you know, or I've, I've <laughs> people be kind of pushy about that. But when I first started my boundaries, I started doing nude modeling pretty much my first shoot, even though I didn't plan it as a nude shoot. I re- yeah, I heard you. I heard you talk about that on the episode. Yeah. Um, and then after that, there were, I pretty much got into like open leg modeling, like, shortly after that and with photographers of a variety of different levels of um respect towards me and so now nowadays because i have my own like subscription sites i primarily only do anything open leg there on my own sites and i won't Mm -hmm. look for somebody else unless i already know that they're cool or i've already worked with them before and i like them and trust them but generally i don't even want to sign up for that because a lot of a lot of the times, if it's like a newer photographer that I haven't worked with before, I kind of can get the gist if they're going to be a freaking weirdo or like be pushy or yawn or whatever. Yeah. But I think that's, I do try to go as far as I'm going to go right away. Like I, I make up a, I've always done this. Like I make up a story that it's about like, oh, I need to take my clothes off because there's going to be lines on me. Yeah. But I don't like to do the like, I don't like to peel off my dress and then peel off my lingerie and then be nude. I'd rather just be nude yeah. until they're bored with nude. And then I know I'm, you know, they're, they've gotten what they paid for. And then they see that I have a huge amount of clothing with me. And then we go on to do like eight more looks and nude was just one of them. Yeah. And also like, I don't like the, I don't like to build tension. I like to diffuse tension with these guys. Like I like to my atmosphere, my, my like vibe is kind of like, uh, collegial bro-y, maybe not bro-y, but like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Reducing. Like if I, like if I think somebody's like lusting over me, I'll like, I don't know, I'll like pick my nose or something, you know, just to diffuse it. (laughs) That's a good diffuser. (laughs) Yeah. I've done a lot of shoots over the years that seem to be like striptease themed, especially when I was actively touring, like, you know, doing 10 shoots in a week or whatever, and half of them would be like on a hotel bed somewhere and you have a bunch of lingerie outfits. And I've done a bunch where it's like starting in the lingerie and then ending up nude and then picking a different outfit. 
And I did so many of that. I felt more like an entertainer than a model for a long time, but I'm happy to be making more of my own content now. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm also, since I've been training to do like live performances in nightlife, uh, we can talk about that later, but like I've gotten into like the pole dancing and aerial dancing in New York, having a mindset like I am a performer. Cause I used to tell people I am not a performer. You know, I am a, it's all about the images, but now I, now I'm having a little bit more respect for myself and like, you know, my sequencing. That's cool. It's interesting. I, I fully respect anybody that can look graceful <laughs> in, in motion because it's just one pose at a time. I mean, sometimes the motion helps cover up any things fluffy. Yeah. I'll just say that. That's really cool. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your Sometimes when you know you're going to be sloppy, you just go faster. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't catch it. Fall with style. Yeah. Oh my god, I did that. I did that a couple of days ago. I was um, being hosted by a model, and I just randomly like fell off the bed when I was packing my bag, and I had I landed like I bounced off a dresser, banged my elbow, but landed on the ground with like one foot in the air and my toe pointed. <laughs> and I made the I like <laughs> made the two other models in the room like observe, observe the toe. Um, oh, I have another funny story about toes pointing. Okay, yeah, tell me. <laughs> when I was 23 or 24, so I just so I'd been modeling for like four years. I went to I needed my wisdom teeth out, and I was at the um, oral surgeon, and he was going to take an X-ray of my mouth. So I step into this X-ray booth with this thing that wraps around my head, and he says, "Like I'm going to take the picture on three, one, two, three, on three. <laughs> it's a picture of my neck because I stand up on my toes." <laughs> yeah, and, and, this, and the doctor was like, um, excuse me, I did not x-ray your teeth. What just happened? I was like, no, okay, never mind. I know, I know why I did that. Just do it again. <laughs> it was a force of habit. <laughs> it really, it really was a force of habit. <laughs> yeah, if a camera is on me, I can't help but like, you know, pose for it in some kind of way. Right? Yeah, I just jump up on my toes. I got have popped out like my family makes fun of me for the family family pictures and I'm like you don't know how much restraint I use and only popping my hip that much <laughs> I've I've known for years that you had been drinking and that you were sober you know since around the, I guess you probably came on my radar in like 2014 does that sound right oh when we both joined that group yeah yeah so I've known that and I had admired that I've been curious about that and then you shared some of your story in the podcast so I wanted to maybe tell you my story about quitting drinking. Uh, it's just maybe a month short of five years ago. Wow. Exciting. Tell me. Okay. So <laughs> I was like an asshole drinker. I really was like I, but it was, it was on and off. Like I would, when I toured by myself and was driving all the time, I wouldn't drink at all. So I would come back to New York city after that and try to keep up with my friends and just be wasted just no memories of anything people were telling me what happened like i would lose my tolerance while on tour and come back and not be able to keep up with these new yorkers mm -hmm. um, but definitely try so i had you know i had it had occurred to me that any problems i had probably had to do with alcohol when at one point like i was feeling really happy with my life in 2018 and i was like anything that goes wrong he sort of has to do with drinking right like any time i've ever wanted to text an ex like, you're not doing that sober. <laughs> yeah. Spending huge amounts of money, like, for no reason. Like, this is also a symptom of drinking. So, like, and then what it was doing to my body, like, a huge thing as well. Because at this point, I'm very seriously into trading aerial. My classes are very expensive. Canceling late is not an option, but too dangerous to do with any amount of hangover at all. I went to... I went to Asia for three months, like, all my own. Like, I thought I was going to work. And then I got there and realized I wanted to be on vacation. And I lived super cheap, like I would sleep in hostels, like that would be like ten dollars a night. You know, I'd spend like six dollars a day on food because I was in Thailand or Indonesia or Vietnam, and like I was really living on the cheap. And I, I like kept my money going for months. Oh. And then I came back to New York City and went out with my best friend, and like we spent two hundred fifty bucks, like just on appetizers and cocktails, catching up. I didn't even remember like how like the things we talked about when we were catching up, unfortunately. But I wasn't even that drunk. That's what that's what still really confuses me to this day. But I had a rocky hangover the next day. And I was driving to a photo shoot in New Jersey, um, about an hour and a half away. 
and feeling a little unsteady while I was driving. Like, oh, like, I didn't get enough sleep. For sure, I didn't get enough sleep. And I can't believe I spent all that money last night. Because, like, that could have, I could have stayed in Asia for another two months off of the 250 I spent last night. Wow. Like, and that was, like, really stuck in my head. So I'm not feeling great, but I'm not feeling the worst. I'm, I'm mostly feeling sleep deprivation. I get to the shoot, and it's like a small group shoot with four people um, at a studio, which is like an outbuilding at a person's home. Um, the dressing room is in a bathroom, so there's like a partition between like a toilet area and the dressing room area. So, you know, if, if a photographer needs to use the bathroom, I have to leave the dressing room. Um, that's part of the deal. It's okay. So I sit down in my chair, and I just something comes over me. Like I feel like dying. Like, I feel my soul leaving my body. And I'm like, this is the worst hangover I've had in my life. How is this possible? Where's all my money? This is awful. And then it just the thought pops in my head, like, I'm going to die. And then the other thought pops into my head, I'm never going to drink again. So I started texting. I just started texting everybody on my phone that would listen. Like, I'm never drinking again. And it's probably just on the, like, typical me, right? Uh (laughs) I'm never going to drink again. And in my head, I'm like, hmm, maybe I can make it to the weekend, but I have a few plans, like on Wednesday and Thursday, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But I, I feel better, you know, telling people I'm never going to drink again, and I want to, I want to see what happens. I want to write it up. And that was in May 2018, and I did not drink again, so I can't believe myself either. Wow. Like one day led to the next day, led to the next day. After like two weeks, I was feeling like solid. I was like, this is great. I'm going to quit nicotine too while I'm at it. Now I'm going to just quit carbs. Like <laughs> I quit, <laughs> turning it around. So that was like a, a really positive experience. But it also taught me that I have like a very different set of social skills than I thought I did. <laughs> The reason this story is about modeling is... Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to ask, do you think that you were an alcoholic? I don't resonate with that word, but I had a drinking problem. Okay. You know, I had problematic drinking habits. But I could go, you know, I could go months and while I was on tour if I had a reason. You know, I'm not socializing, I'm driving. But then around certain friends, I didn't know how to interact with those friends without alcohol whatsoever and had never tried. And it would be like enormous quantities. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I I had to go through that with my drinking friends, too, when I quit because like, you want to be the cool one and fit in. Mm-hmm. For me. Yeah, I was always the I would start the party and end the party. Like that was my thing. I was always whack. I don't know why I like partying so much. Like <laughs> It's really boring without the booth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You think that you're so awesome when you're drunk and that everybody likes you and everything that you say is cool and the music is so cool, but then the next day you feel like shit and you don't remember anything. So it's, what was the whole point? Yeah. <laughs> or like you and your best friend bonded, you cried on each other's shoulders. Like you, she gave you really good advice, but you don't remember any of it. And then you go back to your ex because you didn't, you didn't take the good advice. <laughs> it's yeah. like I always have that kind of thing too. Okay, so the way this relates to modeling is fast forward. So that was in 2018. Fast forward to 2021. I finally, you know, we're a little bit past the pandemic, and now I can go, I can go do shoots again in studios with older older men, you know, who are wearing masks. And this is good. So I went back to that studio. I, you know, it, I was like, oh, this will be the first time back in the studio since I, I have such vivid memories of sitting in that dressing room chair being like, I'm never drinking again, I feel disgusting. I sat in the chair again, and I felt disgusting. Like, I wanted to die. Really? I saw, like, like I could visualize flowers around my casket, which is weird, because I don't even want to be buried. So, anyway, I'm just, I'm disgusted. Like, it's such a strong memory, and I'm smelling something so gross, and I'm smelling the flowers for my casket. And then um, I follow my nose and there is a absolutely foul scented camp candle like gross vanilla and I, I don't know usually i like vanilla gross vanilla scented and it is making me so sick and that's to cover up the fact that this dressing room is also a bathroom uh-huh. <laughs> so i blow out the candle and then a few minutes later i don't feel like dying anymore and i'm like did i quit drinking with your fucking scented candle <laughs> at any rate, 
I think that that candle was so gross. It made me regret all the decisions I had made in my life and want to change everything. <laughs> I wonder, because they say that your sense of smell is the mo- the sense that's the most closely linked to your memory. I wonder if it was also bringing back the feelings from the memory of your hangover five years prior. It might have, or it might have been objectively disgusting to me. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe that maybe I smelled something like that, like in my early childhood. That affected yeah, me. You know? Who knows? Like our our nose has a long memory, from what I've heard as well, and it's like goes deep. But um, even if I quit drinking because a you know a scented candle took the blame, I'm super glad that I did. Wow. And it was totally the right move. That candle did you a service. <laughs> Yeah, and then I went out and tried to explain to these guys, and they just stared at me and offered me a donut. <laughs> they're like, this is like a group of guys. They're so funny. They said they're just like four older guys, and they talk about every model's weight. They just like they're shooting me, and they're all just talking about my peers and like who's gained weight, and it's horrible. And they always tell me I've lost weight, whether I have or not. And then and then immediately afterwards, somebody is like, we have donuts and we have cannolis. Like, uh, I feel like this is a trap. Like, I can't eat one because you think that people who are way better than you are fat, you're, none of you guys have any right to talk about any of us. You're talking about a bunch of gorgeous women who I massively respect. Yeah. So, I've yeah, been there, but I digress. I've been there, too. And then they'll invite you to go have, like, some barbecue dinner afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you never eat anyway. And they'll make some snarky comment about <laughs> <laughs> right and it's like you just insulted somebody who uh you know i I tried to wear her shirt the other day and it wouldn't fit and you just called it that like what yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of uh needing to have tough skin when it comes to people picking apart your appearance yeah especially in groups of men and especially in groups of men of a certain age because like this is for some of these guys i consider them the age of like they probably used to grab their secretary's ass and have no consequences, and they hardly do not accept that they would pass that. But honestly, they would have retired after HR departments really fully came into their own. So it's it's bullshit. They know better. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and that, they shouldn't be. I, I feel like it's kind of a power move, especially if there's like multiple of them and one of you, and they're all gossiping about the weight of, or the how so and so let themselves go or whatever. And you're yeah, you're it's awful. There and you're supposed to be getting naked for all of them, you know? Right. And they're telling me like, you look great. You've lost weight. And I'm like, dude. I'm gaining so much freaking weight. Or, or you know what weight is. Probably talking about you behind your back to the next model that they shoot at their show. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Or talk about, how, or like, are they going to count how many cannolis I eat? I've never had one of their cannolis, by the way. Probably because my stomach is so different from this scented candle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I usually do my own But, yeah. Groups of men are weird. Like I have a good, you know, I have a good two to three situations one on one, but not not always in groups. I have I have dirty tricks though. Like, you know, if they're driving me crazy, I just smear my lipstick all over my face with the back of my hand discreetly, and I'm like, oops, I gotta fix it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, the last workshop that was run by a male photographer that I did was so cringe and I was like why did I even sign up for it when he first emailed me he sounded really nice and I was like oh yeah these people sound nice and I showed up and it was like the worst and I was like I'm never doing this again nowadays most of the group events that I do are run by other females like uh, other models or female photographers because I'm just I can't the workshop thing it's it's good for money and like getting your name out there like especially when you're touring and you're trying to like get people to book you independently outside of the workshop but I feel like it's more trouble than it's worth and all the worst photos of me ever have always come out of group events yeah, exactly and those are the ones that probably come up first on google when you yeah. in your name. <laughs> it's like this is a guy who like knows everything about search engine optimization and this is his first photo shoot ever <laughs> Yeah, now like these are the top nine hundred pictures of me with your full legal name. Yep, yep. Yeah, if you're lucky, he forgot to attach the copy of your driver's license to the photo gallery. Oh Oh my god, did that happen to you? No, but I wouldn't be surprised if it had happened ever. I wouldn't be surprised. 
So would you would you run your own events? Is that something that you thought about? Um, I had done group shoots uh in Seattle. I used to host like TFP shoots for newer models or just people that wanted to try modeling between 2012 and 2015 in Seattle. And that was fun. I did one group shoot in Seattle that was like a two day long nude in nature event. And, you know, kind of like what they're doing with Muses in Wonderland, but it was 10 models. Um, and it was a good event, but I felt so stressed out because people were flying in from around the country and trying to book one on ones throughout the two days with the photographers who were attending. And like, if they weren't booking up, like, nearing the shoot I felt stressed out and I felt like I had to help them advertise to get more bookings so I'm I'm a people pleaser to to be the main person for like a large group event where everybody's supposed to be making money I decided you know that's that's I feel too much responsibility for making everybody happy so I decided I decided not to do another one but I do do like um small events with me and like one or two other models where like a small group of photographers come out and I've mostly been doing um, those underwater trips in uh, the Sonoma. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I wasn't sure. So you are, you are the organizer of those trips. Yeah. Or co-organizer. And Astrid are co-organizers together. We share the responsibility of it. That's great. That's, that's actually, that's describing exactly what the only thing I think I can handle is myself, one or two other models, small group, a niche location. I've not done it yet. Yeah. But exactly like you said, I, if people were flying in and it was a huge amount of models and yeah, people were getting paid up front, people weren't returning deposits appropriately. Like I would, I would go nuts. I would probably go broke too. Like, cause I wouldn't feel bad and want to just pay them out. I I can herd cats to a certain point, but I can't bear as much responsibility to like, you know, caretake everybody's emotions about how much money they're going to make or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, I have another question for you. This is a, okay. a segment of the podcast that I call the rising Phoenix era of your life. Can you describe some part of your life, whether it's related to your modeling or not, where you were faced with a challenge that you had to overcome. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have one that really stands out. Um, and I think that a lot of us share this one and it is the pandemic. I did not do very well being unemployed. I was losing my mind. <laughs> I really should have been talking to a therapist through this, but I did not have any money. <laughs> By the way, where were you during the pandemic? Did you already have your van? Yep, I was living in my van, and the first few months of the pandemic, I mostly kind of stayed either in my van or in an Airbnb, mostly in Seattle, because nobody was shooting, photographers weren't doing anything, and I was mostly just kind of like, like when the pandemic started, like I had just been T-boned in the van, somebody hit us, and so I was kind of injured. And then oh my God. immediately after that, there was like the COVID lockdown. And so I was um, living in my van with my boyfriend and uh, he had some construction jobs that he started on, but the, the job sites got shut down. So we were hotel hopping for the job sites, but both of us were kind of physically out of whack. And then we just decided we're going to go in between our van and Airbnbs for a few months. And that's kind of what we did. <laughs> Wow, so you like hopped, hopped it out, juggled. Wow. It was stressful because they say that if you get COVID, you have to isolate for 14 days. And we didn't have right. an address to isolate at. It was just our van. So I was so scared of getting it because how was I going to get my food if I can't order delivery to my van? Oh, my God, that's right. All I did was order lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> With money I didn't have. <laughs> so mine was kind of opposite because it, New York, and uh, I remember, you know, we were the epicenter for a little while. I remember all the sirens and, like, them building, like, camps and, like, converting a warship into, like, a hospital. And then my friends were losing their elderly family members uh, and saying goodbye to them on Zoom. So, like, it was was a lot. Like, actually, 
before the pandemic, I had started in OnlyFans about two months before, and it was growing and it was feeling good. Um, but the, you know, like I said, the I'm doing like art and glamour news, so like the content I had was a lot of behind the scenes from shoots. So once the shoot stopped, the content stopped. And I also just like living in New York City, I was fucking depressed, and like I felt like I felt like looking good and glamorous was gonna like I don't know, sort of rub it into somebody. It doesn't make sense because people wanted to support me. And they probably would have given me money if I just put a little effort into anything. But also, like, New York City apartment. Like, I was living in clutter. Like, it was – the people that were doing remote shoots and, like, things on video were not in this level of, like, roommates and clutter mm-hmm. and cramped apartments. So, like, I felt, like, kind of excluded from that because, like, I, I just couldn't see myself making content in, in this particular apartment. So anyway, I had two roommates for a while who were working uh, in very serious jobs, very grown-up jobs, uh, like 16 hours a day on, like, Zoom or, or something like that, doing all their meetings. Like, they were so busy. And I'll never forget, like, hearing my best friend, like, her boss yelling at her for, like, hours a day. And I'm like, I'm so conflicted. Like, I'm having this breakdown where I don't know what to do with myself. Um I don't want to, like, make content or enjoy art. It feels inappropriate. There's so much death. Like, that was really stuck in my head. And I'm like, wow, like, my my best friend is going through this thing, like, with her. She's working so much, but she's grateful. She has, she's got this great income from the startup that she works for. She's on Zoom all the time. And I'm like, part of me is like, why did I ever become a model? Like, didn't I see this coming? Like, we're all going to have to go underground and work on the computer. Like, and I need to work in person. Why? And so I'm freaking out. I'm also like in the middle of this big aerial dance training where like I was so obsessed if I took like three days off from the gym, like I thought my life was over. So now weeks are passing and I'm losing it. And like, I can only start doing clubs on a playground. Like I was mostly like staring at a wall, listening to other people have their like grown up jobs on Zoom. I'm feeling conflicted, and I knew that when when the world locked down, I had eight hundred dollars in my bank account. Oh. So made some big purchases, like this big aerial teacher training. <laughs> wow, wow! And now, like, there's not a gym open in like the entire world where I can go because that was like my only release. So I was just this like pent up ball of frustration. I was also single. And, and just really, really frustrated. And finally I, I got like a, I got through like a first couple of weeks, like staring at the wall and like making sounds, <laughs> started smoking cigarettes for a couple of weeks. Like that was a cool hobby. Then started playing video games, like violent ones for a couple of weeks. That kind of helped. <laughs> and then it started to warm up a little bit outside and, and like I could see maybe some signs of like possibly doing some outdoor shoots. But girl, I took on so much debt. I did get the unemployment, like the, the pandemic assistance for freelancers after several months of being on hold, like for, I don't know how much I actually tolerated, but at least two hours a day for like three weeks. Oh, just, man. Like, being on hold with unemployment, but I got it and I got the back pay and that helped me for that year that it lasted. And then when it ran out, like just back to spending savings and then credit card debt. Damn. I was not willing to tour. Uh, I didn't think it was safe, but like largely I was superstitious because so many great shoots had canceled when the pandemic started. And I was hearing about everybody else having all these cancellations from photographers having cold feet. I was like, I'm going to lose money if I try to travel. Like, I just know everything's going to cancel or there's going to be another wave. And I'm just going to like have invested all this into setting up a trip that collapses again. So I didn't travel. I did a lot of outdoor shoots. I didn't really, I didn't like lower my rate or anything, but I started doing crazy things that I wouldn't normally do, like drive three hours to do a two hour shoot or something, you mm. know, and to work like in some interesting outdoor places. Cause I, all I had was time. I started going on the apps, dating apps, cause I'm not looking for modeling jobs anymore because there weren't any. Um, and I started, I was just like, I have all this free time. This is a really unique point in history. And like, there's this point, it's June, there's all these protests going on in New York. I want somebody to go with who's not like busy on Zoom, like, you know, yelling at their coworkers. Yeah. So, so I started like swiping and I, I was swiping, which way is bad. I was swiping left on 
doctors, <laughs> lawyers, people with jobs. I was looking for somebody unemployed. <laughs> I was like, so anybody that looked like they might work on Zoom, I was like, no. <laughs> I went out with this art director for a little bit. I was like, okay, cool. Like, you're definitely unemployed. This industry shut down. Yeah, that was cute. And then I met, um, I met my boyfriend who is, uh, a Broadway musician. So definitely out of work. Found your boyfriend on the dating app. I did. I found him on Hinge. Oh. But it was like a really unique time where all of these creative people who normally are too busy hustling, especially freelancers, they were, they were, you know, that they were suddenly able to date. And for me, it was great because there were no bars open in the whole city. Yeah. And drink. So a first date would be like, let's go for a walk in the park. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do anyway. So when I met John, we walked 11 miles on our first date. Wow. And we like stopped at, you know, the bodega for water and Gatorade. You know? <laughs> and I did not go indoors with him for a fine date. Wow. <laughs> so normally, you know, normally things progress a little faster for me, but none of those relationships worked out. So, you know, we're three years strong now. I found somebody to be unemployed with. And all of it was like productive unemployment and like happy walks. Like we watched it, we watched like every single show on HBO, you know, <laughs> for better or for worse. But at least we did it together. And then we got a dog. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And like after the first date, um, we just, I mean, after the fifth date, when I finally was willing to go indoors with him, uh, I pretty much, like, did not leave. Like, I changed my, like, meal plan subscription to his address very shortly after that. <laughs> and then, like, kept my apartment for maybe, like, 11 more months, but just, you know, just because I didn't want to lose it. But I never went there. During the pandemic, were you getting those brain-scraping nose swipe tests? Wait, what? Where they swipe the inside of your nose, but they go like six inches into your face with a huge long. Um, yeah, because they used to not know that like they could get it out of the front of your nose. Yeah, did you get those? <laughs> I had, yeah, I had that like twice before they before I finally had one. I was like, wow, why are you so gentle? Are oh. you gonna work? <laughs> so, um, I guess what I wanted to say, right? So the phoenix rose in the sense that like. John and I are together, like, we're, and he, you know, I found a fellow freelancer who knows about freelancing, you know, like, if he got a gig and he was just up and leave for two months, I would need to deal with that because the music industry. And because of that, he's the most, you know, the most understanding guy of how weird and unpredictable my schedule can be. That's cool. So that's happy. But the, and then the other thing coming out of it is as of three weeks ago, I have paid off my credit cards. Wow. So I felt like I had a rope around my neck, like a, a really terrible one for three years. And as soon as I came in within like a thousand dollars of paying it off, like I felt like that rope was listening and now I think it's gone. And like I give my first myself permission to be happy now. Cause when you have a lot of credit card debt, like five figures, like I did, like it just doesn't feel like you're allowed to be happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You had, to, I'm sure you had to work real hard to finally get that off of your back. Yeah. And then like, it's funny. Like, I wonder if I could have last year, like if I just set my mind to it, but I really think I had a mental block. Like, like I said, like it was almost superstitious paranoia that like, Oh, I, I can't book all these shoes. They're just going to cancel. So I mostly stayed just, you know, local to New York. And how long, at, at what point did you finally start touring again? I did like, I did like not real tours starting in 2021 where I would like drive to my parents in North Carolina and they didn't want me to shoot because they were paranoid about COVID. So like, yeah, I couldn't go like in and out of the house, but then maybe do a few shoots on the way back. That would pay for, you know, that's not, but that's not real touring. So, and then I would do events became really important to me in this time because it's like, okay, I definitely could get ex exposed to COVID at the event, but I'm going to make a ton of money. It's going to be worth it because I'm going to see all my friends who I have missed through this whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. So like big, big glamour events like became my, my thing and like my saving grace. 
um, and help me like stay like keep the credit card debt below twenty thousand dollars, like hovering around there. Yeah. Wow. But to re- I really needed to do a proper tour to get out of that, so I started doing that this year, like in January. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I was like I said, it was I was blocked. Like I was too afraid to do it. Not afraid of getting COVID or any, at that point, but just like afraid. I think I was traumatized by the cancellations I'd had in 2020. Like I had been so excited about so many shoots. Like 2020 started out so great. Like I felt like I had this work-life balance that I had never had before that it just like just disappeared. Yeah. There's a lot of so, things that were kind of brewing that I was excited for in 2020 that got canceled. Like I was supposed to go to the Philippines and stuff, but a lot of, a lot of people stuff canceled. Yeah. Well, you never liked touring because you were living, you know, your mobile life. I, I had started an OnlyFans as well a few months before the pandemic. Uh, and I, I did make my own content for that. I was already making a bunch on Patreon too, so that helps me pay my bills. I've had Patreon since 2015, so that's always been like a priority is to maintain my Patreon. And then I started the OnlyFans, and that kind of grew for me throughout 2020. Um, and by the end of the summer, um, 2020, we had driven down the coast to California. And when I made that decision to start driving, I think we started driving in June and we made it down in July to San Diego. And I was so paranoid that people were going to judge me for like leaving my hometown. So I made this huge long post about how we're going to like, you know, we have our own shower in the van. We're not going to be using public (laughs) facilities. We're getting COVID tests every week. We we were doing those free drive through COVID tests and I would screenshot my results and text it to anybody that wanted to work with me. And so I was like super hyper vigilant about um, getting tested every week. And if a photographer had like a job where they had to interact with like groups of people, that they didn't know were tested or not, then I would require them to take a test and screenshot it and send it to me with their negative results before we shot. Cause I, I didn't want to be a carrier of it. And I, I didn't. Yeah, want that's that. awesome. Christy, that's like the gold standard, you know, of, of, you know, the caution you can take and still get to make art with people. Yeah. And it wasn't even easy to get tests back then. Like that's the thing. Otherwise, like, you know, now that my boyfriend's working on Broadway, they're tested every day and it doesn't, you know, it's not even that expensive, but like, Seattle, you have to wait a long time for results. Seattle had a really good system for it. There was a lot of like, um, government funded free drive through sites where you just signed up for it online. Then you would wait in your car to go through this drive through thing and people were working there to swab people. And, uh, so yeah, we did that every week. And, on the West Coast in 2020, in the summer, we had the worst uh, smoke season in history. Like, you could not go outside. It was toxic air because of how thick the smoke oh. was in Seattle and Portland, all up the, and down the West Coast. So you couldn't be inside with people because of COVID, and you couldn't be outside with people because of the smoke. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was really bad. And we had a lot of protesting in the streets too and um it was just like um crazy. There there was a period of time where Seattle was deemed um an anarchist region because we had uh the city had overtaken the police station and the police evacuated in the downtown Seattle police station. <laughs> and then, oh yeah. Yeah, you had a really exciting city too. Oh yeah. Seattle, Maybe even more exciting. It, it was definitely interesting. I went to the like, um, Capitol Hill occupied area and it was interesting. It was kind of like a, it felt like a hippie festival, but there was a lot of people in the streets making speeches about equality and stuff. So that was cool. They had, you know, a purpose. But there was a lot of like it happens those days a little bit. Yeah, it was kind <laughs> of like things have potential to get better. Yeah, and there were there's definitely efforts towards more equality that were being made, and I don't know how successful they were in Seattle, but you know people said their piece. So I mean, I think there's a whole generation of people who will not forget what they heard. Yeah, uh, it's just I think people, like, even millennials, like are we're so stuck in our 
ways as a generation it's going to take more time yeah totally well um we're getting near the ending of our podcast i wanted to make sure that there, everything that you wanted to talk about gets aired because i remember you had a list of things i think so one quick story about um about police coming oh my gosh yes at my shoots okay so i was in georgia like out in the i can't remember the name the county out in the county like so it probably an hour from atlanta north i was not nude I was not intending to be nude. That's why this is absurd, because this is probably the first time in my life art nude model. Not going to be nude. He wanted to shoot me in, like, a coat and a fedora and another model and something similar. But, you know, we are who we are, so we had our bags with us, which were full of lingerie and, like, our personal things. So the cops, two cops come, and they're like, you guys are trespassing. The photographer is like, nope, I've looked this up. This is public property, but it's, it's like, a kind of an abandoned camp. Like a, maybe like an abandoned boys camp. So it's, you know, unclear how it's zoned. Like people are going to have to look at actual papers to find this out. Uh-huh. But he comes up to us and he says, what you're wearing is illegal. This is nudity. I can see your nipples. And I was like, I was wearing, see, I'm a nude model. Like I was in my street clothes, but no bra, you know, but I never wore a bra back then because art model. Yeah. You know, small bees, you know, they didn't need one. I was, I was, uh, what year is this? This is probably, oh, this is probably 2009. I was really young. Okay. Um, uh, so I'm wearing like a white button down that has a sheer pinstripe, very thin pinstripe. So like maybe you can kind of see my nipple, but I know that I've worn this exact same thing to the Brooklyn Museum like the week before. And this in New York, it was a non-issue. Yeah. So this cop is like, yeah. He's like, I can see your areola. Is what he said. And I said, what color is it? <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, do that. So one cop is like, he couldn't tell me what color it was. So one, one cop is like looking up, like, how is this place zoned? Like, can we get these guys? I'm trespassing. And the other is like, just decided me and the Russian model I'm traveling with that we are very suspicious. Um, like, obviously I'm nearly naked in this white shirt, <laughs> which was my street clothes, ironically. Um, so he starts like, I don't know why I even allowed this because now I know like he wouldn't, he needed a warrant for this, but he went in my purse and he took out like, I used to smoke cigarettes. He took out a pack of cigarettes and he like smelled them. <laughs> I guess to see if it was drugs or whatever. And you know, they were just cigarettes. So he, then he started going through my bag and this wasn't even supposed to be a laundry shoot, but we had our regular bags, which were full of laundry. So he's pulling them out piece by piece and looking at them. <laughs> And then in addition to this being my lingerie bag, there's the personal bag. He pulled out my little pocket rocket vibrator. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not an erotic model. That was in there because like I used to, you know, art model travel a lot lighter. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls it out and he says, What is this? And I said, Do you want to smell that too? <laughs> that was good. I thought it was funny when I was twenty-four. Oh my god. Anyway, the photographer was right. We were on public land. It was fine. We weren't naked. Like, he was just harassing us. So you didn't get arrested? You didn't smell that too? No, because we didn't do anything wrong. We were wearing clothing. We had bags of lingerie, but we weren't wearing it. Did he smell it? No, he didn't smell it. Did he realize what it was? Like, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it was pretty obvious. But maybe not. I don't know. Like, you've either seen the pocket rocket before you have. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Anyway, okay, I'll leave you with that. <laughs> that that was in Georgia, you said? That was in Georgia. Yeah, typical. <laughs> where you can't even, apparently you can't even in an outdoor area where nobody else is around be wearing a white shirt with a very casual translucent pinstripe that sort of reveals the shape of your nipple but he could not tell me if they were pink or brown <laughs> <laughs> and i knew i was within my rights although like why i didn't ask him to not search my bag i don't know i was dumb i didn't have drugs or weapons you know so it, was, it should have been chill but then if if you were to tell him to stop looking in your bag then he'd say that you're like resisting his orders or something <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I had like another shoot that day, but like, I can't like be asked to like go down to the station or wait for a warrant. Like, I just need this to be over with. And I still have to go back to the photographer because he, he was 
paying us both of us our full rates and we were even doing news and I was like now this whole shoot is like basically over because it's taking so long for them to look up like who owns this land oh that's a (laughs) poor guy yeah poor guy but at least it was yeah everybody me and the other model had a huge sense of humor about it because like we we were in the right and that felt good even for a 24 year old that felt good like I knew I didn't have anything and I knew that this was the one time I wasn't even naked yeah for real <laughs> that's hilarious i i haven't been busted by the cops on a shoot before i i guess i had a kind of a close call once where i was doing a nude shoot for three photographers uh at a cemetery in st louis missouri and uh yeah and and there was people there like i had a robe and a one of the photographers was just supposed to throw a robe at me when they saw that a car was approaching because it was... Was it, was it daytime or nighttime? It was daytime. It was the middle of the day on like Sunday or something like that. You're brave. The day to go to the cemetery. And they had this one... Um, they It was the Anheuser-Busch Memorial Building. And uh, it looked like a palace because it had like, you know white columns and nice stairs and so the photographers wanted to take me there and the cops showed up and they were like oh what are you guys doing here and i'm like in my little robe barefoot with weird makeup and weird hair and it's obvious that i'm not wearing anything underneath it but the cops like were hassling the photographers for like 10 minutes and um they were like joking around and one of them was like laying blame on they're like oh yeah you, you can totally trust us but that guy over there like you don't want to know what, what kind no, okay. of he's taken and <laughs> of course it was the one photographer in the group who was like a person of color so he was sweating bullets and i was like this is not oh, god this is not fair i feel it's oh, really awkward and um the cops basically were like saying stuff like well people come here and they take inappropriate photos so you better not be doing that but after, no no yeah after about 10 or 15 minutes uh they finally left and they didn't you know arrest anybody but i was i was shaken up i was like i'm the one that's gonna get in trouble for public indecency not the photographers even if they're the ones that brought me here so it's true you're lucky that they didn't just harass you i have i've been caught like four other times but oh have me back on the podcast someday and we'll just share cop stories <laughs> yeah cool well it was great having you i really enjoyed getting to talk to you and i'll definitely put your links um in the podcast description so that people can check you out and stuff 